Frederick West, the builder accused of mass murder, just minutes away from a reunion with his wife, Rosemary. I remember describing the investigation at one stage as three to five dimensional chess. A house that holds unspeakable secrets. Suddenly you had a modern day Hindley and Brady. One of Britain's largest ever police investigations. And it's simply inconceivable that somebody could be screaming for her life in that house without everybody knowing. It was the most difficult thing that I had ever had to do and ever have had to do in my life. I was uh, at home sleeping late February 1994. The home line went midnight, I think, and the night news editor said that some bodies had been discovered in a garden in Gloucester. And could I get down to Gloucester first thing in the morning? I think at that stage, there was maybe two or three bodies had been found and the owner of the house, a builder, was under arrest. And that really was, that was my start of the involvement in, in the West case. I was a young reporter at the Daily Mail at the time, looking to work on big stories. From the Daily Mail newsroom, I'm Stephen Wright. This is the Mail Plus true crime podumentary, Fred and Rose West. The serial killers next door. My name is Stephen Wright. I've been covering major crime stories for the Daily Mail for the last 27 years. They've included some of the UK's most notorious crimes serial killers, child murderers, racist killings, serial rapists, police corruption, and mass casualty terror attacks. My work as a crime journalist has taken me around the world. This year marks 25 years since one of the most shocking court cases I've ever covered. Heather West lived at 25 Cromwell Street in Gloucester, a three-storey Victorian property which also had a basement. Her father was Frederick Walter Stephen West, known to most people simply as Fred. Neighbours described him as a quiet man who was hard-working. He's always the kind of guy who would say, come on in, you know, I'll sit up a cup of tea now. He was a builder by trade, but it's fair to say, not a particularly good one. His wife was Rosemary Pauline West, known to friends as Rose, who was the mother of eight children, including Heather. From the outside, they appeared to be a normal and happy family. But were they? I couldn't uh, establish where Heather was and by any means whatsoever. That's the voice of former Detective Superintendent John Bennett, the senior investigating officer on what would become one of this country's most appalling cases. I've known and enjoyed a good professional relationship with John for a quarter of a century. He rarely speaks to the media, but his memories of the case that defined his police career remained crystal clear. It became clear that there was some reason why Heather, as an individual, had just disappeared. Someone had to know where she was, and they did, specifically Fred and Rose West's other children. The children started to talk to the social workers and mentioned that during their uh, time with their parents, if they misbehaved, uh, such silly things would be said like, uh, you'll end up under the patio like Heather. It became apparent to Detective Superintendent Bennett that 25 Cromwell Street was no ordinary family home. A search warrant was issued. Rosemary West was her normal 
trucking itself. Frederick West pushed her to one side and said he wanted to speak to the officers on his own. And during that conversation, he admitted to killing Heather and putting her under the patio. The excavation for Heather's body began. As the search continued, the remains of Heather were located. The circumstances in the garden were absolutely uh, disgusting. The weather was bad from start, but even worse, as soon as you removed the patio slabs, it was like a pie, and you took the, the crust off the pie and you were in a morass of sewerage and water. An officer actually working in an area nowhere near where Frederick West had indicated, found what he thought was a human bone. I can remember very well going to uh, the scene and seeing the beginning of what was eventually the remains of Heather. And the officer showing me this bone, which I knew was a, a thigh bone. I personally considered it likely that this was just a, a, an ancient burial. When Professor Bernard Knight, the Home Office pathologist, who was called to the scene to begin the excavations of what we believed to be the remains of Heather, I showed him this fight femur, and he looked at it, uh, and I remember him saying, if, there, if there's a human remains and I excavate them and, and it's Heather, then we've probably got the first three-legged person, he said, because... To me, this is more than one uh, set of remains. Yesterday at Gloucester Magistrates, 52-year-old builder Frederick West was charged with the murder of his daughter Heather. He's been remanded in police custody until later this week. I remember going into that court in the evening to make the application via the Crown Prosecution Service. And West, by this time, had been charged with the, the murder of Heather. And as he uh, came into the, into the court, he looked very pale. And then shortly after that, he virtually collapsed. He left, was asked to leave the court, and he went out of the court. And he told the officer that was guarding him there, a uniform officer, that there were other uh, victims in the garden. Today, police revealed they'd found the remains of two more bodies in separate parts of the garden. At the house, the excavations continue as the remains are taken away for forensic examination. The, Home Office the investigation had really taken a, a different turn. We've now got multiple murders. ...forces around the country about their find. They're now checking their missing persons registers to help with positive identifications. This was just the beginning. Police have underestimated the sheer size of their task inside number 25. It could be their search for bodies at other sites. Police today continue to dig at a new site a quarter of a mile from where Catherine Costello's remains were. Ten murder victims now and still the investigation Police goes are saying on. privately they could be dealing with as many as 14 bodies. Frederick West, the builder accused of mass murder, just minutes away from a reunion with his wife, Rosemary. Inside Cromwell Street, they're preparing to take down an extension in the continuing search there. Now it's the turn of Much Markle to bear the burdens of what may be Britain's biggest murder inquiry. Nine victims were eventually identified after remains were found in the garden and cellar. Their ends met in ways too brutal and horrific to say out loud. 
They included girls who were abducted from the street, such as university student Lucy Partington and Swiss hitchhiker Therese Siegenthaler, and also lodgers such as Shirley Robinson and Linda Goff. Linda Goff went to Cromwell Street as a nanny. At one, one occasion, the mother had gone to visit her there and being concerned about these particular people. Mrs. Goff had been very concerned because when they, she'd gone there, a woman who was living there had told her that, uh, in fact, the daughter had left and gone off um, to Bristol. But on the clothesline was uh, some clothing that Mrs. Goff had, had knitted for her. And also, she noticed that this woman was wearing Linda's slippers. Mrs. Goff described Rosemary West perfectly as being the woman who had spoken to her. Frederick West said it was being made up. and He wanted to speak to his solicitor, Howard Ogden. After some conversation with Howard Ogden, Frederick West uh, allowed Howard Ogden to write a message to me and signed it, during which he admitted the murder of Linda Goff and others. Unspeakable cruelty I have not encountered before or since. It was and still remains the most depraved case I've ever covered. Yet still, 25 years on, I can't help but wonder how is it that these two people with such warped views of the world were able to find one another? I think to answer this we need to go back and uncover who Fred and Rose West really were. You came in later, didn't you? I did. I was never there during the digging. The voice you're hearing is Geoffrey Wonsall. I'm in Los Angeles and my agent rings me up and says um, they're looking for an official biographer of Frederick West. And I'm summoned to London to a solicitor's office that I can't identify. And I'm told to meet a little man. So he takes me into this room, believe it or not, actually was called Room K. And it was simply a table and a big huge great double-doored filing cabinet not one with drawers just one with doors and inside there were shelves and with that he proceeds to leave he's given me an old-fashioned cassette recorder so i i I don't crikey this is a bit weird so i open the double doors it is a complete jumble no (laughs) no organization at all there's police interviews in files there's cassette tapes jumbled all over the place But right in the middle, in the centre of this extraordinary filing cabinet, is a small brown box. So I take it out, put it on the table, the little table I've got. I open it up and I discover that it's Frederick West's clothes, right down to his underpants and his socks. And so I think your your life changes at that moment, really. Um, And... I don't think, although it's crikey a long time ago now, 25 years ago now, you're ever quite the same. Uh, I wanted to sit down with Geoffrey to dig a little deeper into Fred West's early years to see if it would give me any insight into what made Fred West the man he was. In terms of Fred's early life, it was pretty primitive wasn't it? And also you doing your book went into uh, more detail than the papers would have room for. Yes, I mean, Fred is one of six children. Daisy, his mother, and his father was Walter West. Walter was a big bully of a man Mm. with a profound 
interest in sex. And his wife wasn't much different. Mm. They were essentially an abusive couple. Walter abused her. Mm. Walter also believed that um, he had every right to uh, have sex with his own daughters, uh, something that Fred inherited. And Daisy effectively introduced Fred to sex at the age of 12. I mean, she took him into her own bed. That was one of the parts. And did you hear that from family members? I mean, people. It's in, it's in all the all the taped interviews. Right. So, uh, so if you're playing devil's advocate, that's Fred's version well, of what happened. It's, it was it was several other persons' versions as well. Right. Not everyone is in agreement that Fred had an incestuous relationship as he was growing up. Certainly, John Bennett, the retired detective superintendent, doubts that that happened. Uh, the media decided that uh, they knew that uh, Frederick West had had um, sexual relationships with his uh, mother. There's no evidence of that at all. Nobody has ever said that to, to be the case. As far as we can tell, Fred West was born into a very dysfunctional and really rather disturbed family. David I mean, Cantor an is an investigative psychologist who specialises in building offender profiles which help the police catch killers. In his memoir, the very strange document that Fred wrote when he was in prison, he refers to his father having sex with Fred's own children, again incest within the family. And what is very notable about that comment is that Fred doesn't mention it as something wrong. There was a whole acceptance within the family of violence and of of sexual activity that really, as far as we can tell, became more or less the norm for what the children expected of each other and of, of the people they were in contact with. So Fred was born into a very dysfunctional and disturbed family. And some years later, it seems Rose's childhood, too, was far from idyllic. Rose's relationship with her father was like most children. She rather adored him because she regarded him as the source of all authority and wisdom. That's Brian Masters, the writer of She Must Have Known, The Trial of Rosemary West. By the time she'd got to adolescence, of course, she began to realise that this was not quite true. So she grew up believing that her duty was to be available to her father and she was available to her father throughout her early adolescence and as usual in incestuous families it was the women who took the brunt of responsibility her mother mrs letts uh, knew what was going on but was powerless to intervene she couldn't protect her undeniably both fred and rose had troubled childhoods So what happens when sex and violence becomes the norm? I asked forensic psychologist Dr Kerry Nixon. We know that neglect and abuse has an impact on the brain and how the brain develops. It desensitises a child to violence and abuse, so it almost normalises that type of behaviour. We have children then that are conditioned almost to not be shocked by that kind of behaviour. When you have somebody that has lived a life of being abused and exposed to that level of sexual behaviour and then they meet somebody else who has also lived that life, it almost becomes that they're bound together by that dysfunction. Is it common for criminals to have suffered some sort of childhood trauma? 
In my 20 years of working as a forensic psychologist, I have worked with uh, hundreds and thousands of criminals, criminals who've committed violent offences, sexual offences and low-level offences. And the majority of those offenders have had backgrounds of dysfunctionality, abuse, poverty. It's very rare that I come across an offender who has had a wonderful childhood full of care and nurture. Their brain develops in a different way. They learn a different way of adapting to society. They are conditioned and it's all about learning, you know, social learning. We learn everything that we do from our parents. I remember from my research with, well, I didn't obviously write a book about the case, but I was down there for months yes. and I do recall Fred, the picture I got of him was he wasn't obviously academically bright man, but he was streetwise and, and cunning, and that contributed to him being able to get away with it, so to speak. Yes, I mean, he, was, he, he had a nickname of a, uh, the fox. He said, because no one could understand me. Mm. Um, he was very, very skilled groomer of people. It didn't yeah. matter whether they were young girls, policemen, social workers. Frederick West began playing his uh, games which he pursued right until the time he, he died um, of uh, making up stories, testing us out, uh, trying to talk about things that he wanted to talk about. Uh, I've said on many occasions that Frederick West was one of these people that you didn't interview. He interviewed you. He, he had an agenda of his own. No matter what you wanted to talk about, he decided what the answers were. And if he didn't want to uh, answer the question, he would make up some story. Frustrating for us, uh, we had to listen to uh, what was sometimes very distressing um, conversations uh, and manufactured stories, uh, unreal stories. And some might say, well, how did you know they were unreal? Well, um, I had no intention of going into the detail, but they were just his fabricated dream world that had no basis in reality. He, was, he had incredible neuro-linguistic skill. He would just say, oh, that's a great tie, Steve. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really like one. Where'd you, you know, one of that? Yeah. And he would, mm-hmm. he would stop people, particularly young women, and say, can I help? Uh, he had an extraordinary... Well, he didn't have that uh, threatening, menacing look. Oh, I mean, as you know, written it sends me up murder. Murderers don't have T-shirts saying, I'm a psychopath. <laughs> but he was, he was he on hid one in, level, he hid it well, didn't he? He hid in plain sight. Yes, he, yes, like many really skillful psychopaths, mm. but yeah. he had an extraordinary ability from a very early age, I think, to simply believe he could get away with murder, literally. And something else happened to Fred during his adolescence, didn't it? Yes, he did have a nasty motorbike accident, and he also fell off um, a fire escape at the Ledbury Youth Club because yeah. you know, he'd made, an, a, a, well, for Fred, a rather flirty suggestion, mm. and the girl pushed him, yeah. and he fell over backwards, yeah. hit his head. There is a very high level of brain injury in people who end up in the criminal justice system. That's Hugh Williams, Associate Professor of Clinical Neuropsychology at Exeter University. If we think that about 2% of the population have had a moderate to severe brain injury, then about 15 to 20% of people in prison have had a moderate severe brain injury. So that's, uh, that's a significant enough brain injury to change your brain for your lifetime. I wanted to know how much damage an accident like Fred West could potentially have caused. 
when a brain injury happens, it typically affects the area towards the front of the brain. So the area towards the front of the brain, the frontal lobes are often affected because there's the skull on the underside of the brain tends to be jaggedy. So the brain effectively sits on something that's a bit like a cheese grater. So when the brain injury happens, the brain moves inside the skull and there's this kind of effect of uh, the brain hitting against kind of bony tissue one way or another. That part of the brain is typically involved in planning ahead, impulse control, thinking about two things at the same time, and so on and so forth. So injuries to these parts of the brain are often implicated in problems in behaviour. So what effect can this sort of injury have on a person? Brain injury then can result in problems in impulse control, in being able to plan ahead, in being able to read other people's emotions, sometimes also in actually feeling emotions. So losing, uh, to some extent, empathy, uh, to some extent, losing the sense of feeling for other people. What can also lead to hyper-anxiety and feeling very agitated and, and irritated as well. So it's very difficult to tell from one brain injury what kind of outcome someone's going to get because of the complexity of the brain and how the brain can be injured. So could two quite serious head injuries have contributed somewhat to the Fred West we know from the headlines? Like Geoffrey, John Bennett isn't so convinced by the reports. Yes, he had a motorcycle accident where he had a head injury and he was in hospital for two days. It's been reported on numerous occasions that he had severe fractured skull, uh, that he had a plate in his head, that his future behaviour was probably a result of these injuries. Factually, I can I can assure anyone who reads uh, or hears of the stories of this plate in his head or that he had a severe fractured skull, that that is complete fabrication. How I know that is because I was present at his post-mortem and there was no such injury apparent at all. So maybe not. And Professor Hugh Williams seems to think Fred's alleged head injuries may not have been all that significant anyway. He seemed to have already have a number of issues that would indicate a pre-existing set of conditions that would likely lead to forms of crime. So it's likely that he already had the kinds of behaviours that would trigger one to think he needed to have some interventions to arrest the development of any more behaviours that were problematic. After a head injury, there could be, there's a possibility of more problems, but in his case, it sounds from the reports that they, he had a degree of planning and organization for what he went on to do. So it's hard to say how one could have intervened other than to say that picking up on brain injuries earlier could have been helpful to reduce or give more supervision uh, requirements around someone like him to reduce the chances that he's already developing negative personality issues wouldn't you know, develop further. So Professor Williams's take on the matter is Fred had already been conditioned to commit the horrific crimes that he did. And when you look at certain events in Fred West's life, it's no wonder he thought he could get away with it. There was one event in particular. Fred West's first real brush with the law is when he was accused of raping his sister. 
Yeah. Um, when he was 20. And that didn't go ahead, did it, in the end? That... Uh, he went to court, yes. but she wouldn't give evidence. Yes. Forming one of the patterns mm. throughout Frederick West's life. Mm. Time after time, mm. there would be accusations, and whoever it was, and in mm. later stages it was mm. his own children, mm. wouldn't, wouldn't give evidence, and yeah. the case was dismissed. The fact that he did that is, uh, is significant, but of very great importance for his later activities was that he got away with it. David Cantor again. The case didn't really lead to him getting any serious punishment for it. So this must have made him believe that that was acceptable behaviour and that he could get away with these sorts of things and carry on doing them. This was all before Fred had even met Rose. There's been a lot of speculation, hasn't it, about exactly how Fred and... and uh, and Rose met talk of a, of a bus stop at Pitville uh, Park yeah. in Cheltenham yes it yeah. may be true I certainly think that Rose she was working in a baker's and he sent somebody into the baker's to give her a note and all sorts it would have been typical Fred yeah Fred would have said oh I like the look of you know to himself yeah, yeah. and he would then have targeted her mm-hmm. and he did it for almost every victim of the random mm. victims mm. Fred West was highly sexualized. Everything was sexual activity for him. And this was something that he, from a very early age, was very much involved with. And I did actually meet somebody, a a man who had been given a lift by Fred West when he was younger. And this man told me that Fred West very quickly started talking to him about sexual activity in a very raw and direct way. And it seems very likely that that was uh, something that he did often with with people. It's probably the way in which he first began to form a relationship with Rose West, who had also come out of a, a terribly dysfunctional background in which she was abused in, in a number of ways, both sexually and physically, when she was very young. And it seems very likely to me that when they first met, they related to each other in terms of this shared sort of understanding about the use of sexual abuse. I think that Frederick West was someone who quite clearly had violent tendencies. He was a sexual predator, there is no doubt at all about that. And he met Rosemary West, they became very close. I suspect that he brought rosemary into his behavior however it is clear from numerous and i really mean numerous witnesses that rosemary west became insatiable sexually in every way that you can imagine the reason she married frederick west whom she met at the bus stop was to escape that's brian masters again she started to dress as a little girl well into her teens little white socks and the innocent air. She knew instinctively, it seems, uh, how she could get rescued from this by attracting another elderly, lascivious gentleman uh, who might uh, be able to whisk her away. And I wonder, at this point, who was wearing the trousers in the relationship? So she fell under his spell and everything was okay for a while and she, there were letters between them because he was in prison for a short while and she wrote to him while he was in prison and said that she was going to do everything that he wanted. She signed a document 
which he made to sign, saying, I am, I am Fred's property, and my duty is to do everything that he wants. Who could have predicted how this relationship would progress? The West's victims came from far and wide. They were snared by a seemingly innocent couple in an ordinary car who would offer them a lift. A house that holds unspeakable secrets. It was a harrowing hour for the nine relatives who attended the inquest. Some were in tears as they listened to the horrifying evidence. A policewoman sitting next to them broke down and sobbed too. I saw reporters who I have seen since in tears sitting in that court and they were in disbelief. They had difficulty in making their shorthand notes. It's still giving up its grisly secrets, but already it's one of the most infamous addresses in Britain. Depravity on a level which I had certainly not reported on then and since. But it was, it was truly shocking, and I remember that reporters were being offered counselling at Winchester Crown Court because it was so harrowing and there was a lot of stuff which came out in the trial which simply could not be reported on, on taste and grounds and so as not to make the, the ordeals of the victims' families even worse. I feel sorry for the families who, there's some families who still don't know whether their children might be found, whether their daughters or relatives are going to be found in this house. A verdict has been reached a jury discharged, but for eight weeks, audiences around the world have been gripped by the drama unfolding in Winchester's court number three. Drama sparked by one of Britain's largest ever police investigations. Meeting Fred was the end of her life, really, not the beginning. Next time on Fred and Rose West, the serial killers next door. Her husband may have escaped justice, but Rosemary West must still face the courts. There's nothing that can prepare you for coping with the details of something truly depraved. She won't tell any more than Brady told us. Rose is not going to say it's the final secret. They find each other, and that becomes a really dangerous combination. I watched the jury look at her. You could tell they weren't believing her one iota. They targeted, by and large, girls who wouldn't be missed. Gave us the most extraordinary, horrifying spectacle in criminal history in the last half a century. <laughs>